Hey, it's Serge from Libra Lounge. We recorded this episode at Libra Planet, and some of the audio is not great. We did our best to clean it up, but you can still hear a lot of background noise. At the same time, the content was too good to pass up. So apologies for the bad audio, and I hope you enjoy the episode anyway. Welcome to Libre Lounge, a podcast about free software, free culture, and all the other interesting aspects of user freedom. With Christopher Lemmer Weber and Serge Broklowski. Hey, Chris. Um, hey, Serge. So uh, we're still here at Libre Planet. <laughs> we are. We we interviewed we're, Joey we've Hess. Been, we've been here a whole week. Yeah. <laughs> we we interviewed Joey Hess, and then we were like, "That was so much fun." We let's need stay to, here another let's, week. Let's stay here. Um, so yeah, we're we're um, it, it, no, it's in in broadcast time. It's going to be much further than it is in Serge and Chris sitting here in recording time. Um, but but we're we're pretty excited today because. Um, uh, you know, we've got in a very special guest, Sean O'Brien. Uh, um, Sean, it's nice to have you here. I've known you for, I think we've been talking for a couple of years, and we met in person for the first time a year ago, also at Libre Planet, pretty much an anniversary of right now, right? That's about right, yep. Yeah, so, um, so Sean... Uh, uh, <laughs> we are in a public space, so there can be loud children just yelling, and uh, if you hear that... It's part of the special episode. <laughs> That's right. If you, if you hear that, then you know the secret code. Text that code into the special number, and you won't get a prize. So, well, um, secret codes are not too far from the uh, topic of this episode, since Sean works at the Yale Privacy Lab, and they've done more than a bit about things like secret codes. So, so Sean, why don't you tell us uh, what, what kind of uh, work you do there and, and how, how that all... Uh, how that all fits in to your, your being here at Libre Planet. Sure. Um, so Yale Privacy Lab, uh, we started out doing digital self-defense workshops. I'm, Sorry, not gonna I, I'm, not, I'm gonna stop laughing at the yeah. children in the background, <laughs> okay, I promise. Yeah, okay. I think you're laughing at making the funny <laughs> no, no. not the history of Yale Privacy. Um, but anyway, uh, we started out doing digital self-defense workshops with people used to call crypto parties. Um, gained a decent amount of trust um, through that. And then had some folks reach out to us from a group called now called Exodus Privacy in France, um, alerting us to some terrible, suspicious stuff that's in uh, Android applications. So uh, these things we call trackers um, and other uh, free software projects, F-Droid, for example, might call them trackers or malfeatures, etc. Um, but these trackers are snippets of code um, that are running in applications. So they're on Android, they're on iOS, um, and users do not know that the code is there. So they haven't consented to the data collection, usually, in any real active sense that we think of consent, at least. Um, and the code is running in the background doing a variety of things. A tracker could be a crash reporter that just takes very basic information, but probably too much. Uh, it usually is something like an analytics platform linked to Google or Facebook or one of these. Um, but the more interesting ones, and the ones that are more like secret codes, are the uh, near-ultrasonic and ultrasonic trackers, which I love talking about, love digging into. Um, and those <laughs> are uh, basically uh, dog whistle 
dog whistle type sounds that humans can't hear. Wait, literal dog whistles, but, not the metaphor not of the dog metaphor. whistles that we hear so much about today. Right, right. Not 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 Trump telling his base to do things. Um, but anyway. As far as, as far as anyone needs to know. Right. 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 So um, there's a certain range of hearing we can't hear. Right. Some animals can. Babies can hear it. Some people who have really excellent hearing can hear the really like low near ultrasonic tones. But generally speaking, anything above 20 kilohertz, um, we can't hear. So uh, these tech companies have contracted out with, for example, um, large sporting events, uh, festivals, concerts, um, you know, like farm stuff, like, you know, the Big E and so on, big county fairs and so on. Um, And also malls, Macy's, Krispy Kreme, you know, these types of companies, to have speakers transmit these codes and then also use the tracker code that's in the mobile application on a user's phone uh, to open the microphone. So now you're using your Lollapalooza or whatever um, app to look at the schedule for Lollapalooza. That app is opening up the microphone. You are in proximity pretty much all the time uh, to speakers at an event like that. The speakers are communicating to your phone, and your phone is pinging the network with information about you. Wow. Yeah. So... Yeah, so normally I wonder whether or not somebody's listening in on, my, on me, but, but here my phone may be listening in on the environment, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't know it. And, like, not even, not even so, so, I mean, not even in, I mean, I guess they could also be listening to, you know, my speech, but it's just actually um, stuff I, I don't even know or might even be able to hear is going on. Right, and so the strength of the technology uh, compared to Bluetooth or, you know, Wi-Fi snooping, which there's plenty of that linked to this stuff, um, the strength of the technology is the consentlessness of it and really the, the no one is thinking about the microphone doing this thing, right? right. Um, it's sort of on the edge of what we traditionally consider ad tech-based surveillance. Um, hmm. And if there's a limitation to the technology, of course... Um, it's, it's also the same kind of thing. You've got to keep retransmitting the signal. There's only a certain amount of information you can get across. If the person doesn't stay in the same place very long, then, you know, who knows what happens. So why are you at Libra Planet then? Like, how does uh, uh, protecting our privacy tie into a conference like this? Sure. So um, the thing I was talking about at Libra Planet was a class we do at Yale in cybersecurity. Um, we did talk a little about this technology, but, um, of course, uh, generally speaking... <laughs> Privacy matters to folks at Libra Planet, right? And the reason that I've been invited here, now the second year I'm very happy to be speaking, um, is because free software is a prerequisite for privacy. Um, it's not a guarantee, but it's a prerequisite. Um, if these tracker companies um, were releasing their code as free software in some sort of common situation, um, then they could not hide these malfeatures in the code or at not- least for very long. Not not very easily. Their code obfuscation does exist, yeah. but it's very it's considerably more difficult to pull off in in a free software environment. Right, and from a development perspective, in sort of a ecosystem perspective, right? Um, there's a reason we look at Android specifically. First off, um, Android code is you know free software ish, right? AOSP is free software licensed and uh, released. 
Um, but then these apps are bootstrapped very quickly by startups usually, um, and they're just shoving SDK, software development kit code, in that they may or may not even know what it's doing. Um, so sometimes they seem to very actively know, and sometimes something like this, like ultrasonic tracking, may come with another feature that the developers of the app want. Um, that's then bundled and distributed through Google Play. It has all kinds of proprietary code tacked onto it, and then it's inspectable, right? But it still takes you know actual active looking at the code rather than so this is so this ties into a, a number of topics that we've covered on the show in yep. the past uh, of course free software which is a constant topic um but also you know you've you mentioned you know uh the issue of things being tacked on which directly you know connects with reproducible builds which is a topic that we touch on in the show too so so it's it just it's i just want to point out that this is all about the, not only the transparency to the users but also the transparency to each person, as you said, in the chain, a developer may not even be, you know, be aware that the proprietary code that they're using to develop the application is including these features as well. Right. So, I mean, we need to think about software the same way we think about hardware with supply chain, basically. Um, and that's that's exactly it. Now, I don't want to let these developers off the hook. No, that's right. <laughs> you know. Because they're the because ultimately they're responsible for what their programs do. Right. And then they're also choosing to distribute in an environment like Google Play. iOS, uh, you know, there's restrictions on doing the type of analysis we do, which is static analysis primarily, um, because of DRM restrictions. So... We know because the tracking companies tell us um, that they're doing these things on iOS as well, and we can kind of assume that the Android version of an app, if it has trackers in it, the iOS version has these trackers as well. Um, but generally speaking, unless we basically put a man-in-the-middle box on the network and watch the packets coming across, um, we don't necessarily know. So in, in the iOS folks, they're relying on Apple to... To, to be to be the the one doing this inspection, right? And they don't. So, <laughs> so although you know, I mean, the Android App Store, Google Play is uh, extremely polluted with all kinds of stuff. Um, when people make the claim that Apple's some wonderful privacy respecting steward of their App Store, they allow these malfeatures in. Um, and in fact, um, the devices that transmit the ultrasonic tones are much less uh, prevalent than Bluetooth um, beacons. And those beacons are using an Apple technology more oftentimes than not called iBeacon. And the two things are related. So usually we'll find an iBeacon device first and know that it's trying to do Bluetooth pairing. And then that iBeacon device will also be doing ultrasonic in some cases. So, so, so how, and so you mentioned, a, you started to touch on a little bit how you discover these things, but I, I know your, your, your lab has done a lot of work is in terms of discovering these things. We know that they're happening. How would a security researcher go about finding these kinds of vulnerabilities? Sure, so that brings me back a little bit to the history part um, of what Yale Privacy Lab has been doing. Um, the folks who reached out to us from Exodus Privacy were basically uh, daisy-chaining together a uh, variety of what's called static analysis tools. Um, and uh, those tools are tools that basically download from Google Play, um, unpack the software package, um, the installer for the mobile app, and then look at the code for signatures, just like a virus scanner or a spyware scanner would look at uh, look at the code. So 
If you want to know if Facebook is in your app, a good way to figure that out is if it has, you know, is talking to Facebook.com, right? Um, so that's the basic framework of the process. And if you want to check it out yourself as, as a listener and as someone who's not going to do the manual work, which, you know, is not always fun, um, you can use the Exodus Privacy tool, which is at um, reports.exodus-privacy.eu.org. The other thing you can do um, is look at the permissions on an app when you install it. Um, so Exodus will tell you what the permissions are if you do look up an app there, look up Uber or whatever uh, in the scanner, the online scanner. But also as a user, when you install an app, if it's a calendaring app or something that shouldn't have microphone access, then obviously you need to be a little bit suspicious. Um, that's a good red flag. Weather apps are awful, you know. Install a weather app and last like to own your phone basically, and we're so attuned now to just clicking through these terms of service, and which is basically what that is—the permission screen on the app—that we uh, we kind of just deal with. And there's no way, even in some of these cases, that even even when an application needs a particular permission, and it's, it's it could abuse it still. So, like Uber. My understanding of Uber is that you know they need to know your location, presumably, to put you in the right place and connect you with the driver. But then my understanding is that then they, they track you for 30 minutes after you've been dropped off. And there's really no way with our current systems to, to easily say, okay, well, now I want this particular app no longer to have this permission at this time. Right, that kind of fine grain, grain control isn't, isn't there on these platforms. Well, fine grain monitoring to even know that they're doing it right. can be hard. And good luck on these operating systems to cut off microphone access, you know, even if you're guessing. That's, you know, you don't necessarily have controls like that in the operating system. But I'm glad you talk about that because Uber is a good case for real abuse. Um, one of the things about Uber is that they were in the iOS app store um, purposefully trying to torpedo competitors for a few years. And, um, and regulators, right? That was yeah. That, I, that's how everybody found out. But my understanding is that Tim Cook knew about it first. Surprisingly, well, of course he would, right? And um, sort of had a wink and a nod for a little while, and then warned the Uber CEO personally not to do it anymore. So even if we knew that such an activity was going on, we're still trusting these stewards of these very centralized, you know, software distrib- distribution um, stores to not do that kind of handshake deal stuff, too. How was Uber um, curtailing their competitors uh, in that scenario? I don't recall. So okay. there's no oh, I do. Oh, yeah. I know. I know. I mean, I know the answer to this. So, I mean, whether we keep this or not. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, so my understanding of the way Uber was curtailing their competitors was that they were uh, sending out, they were using their competitors' apps, they were looking for drivers that were nearby internally calling back home making requests for pickup to those local um, to those local other drivers canceling once they once the driver went close to the pickup canceled then followed up with a text message directly to the driver saying yeah, aren't these things annoying come to Uber where this doesn't happen well that's insane See, that's a good refresher because I thought it was much more "quote unquote" innocent. They were just trying to like uninstall and block the other apps from running. But oh, oh well, for the drivers, yes. Yeah. But for the but for the but but on passengers' phones, they were also like like or on actively. the system, they were actively going, making calls, stopping the you know canceling right as the driver, and then and then literally just 
Oh, if, if they had a way of contacting them, texting the driver saying, wouldn't you like to work for Uber? We should verify this I will have a source okay. in the show notes. Okay, cool. Um, so, okay, so we, we now know that some of these things, bad things are happening. We can, of course, choose to... We often can choose to not install these things. Of course, people don't always have that much luxury, right? Like, it's... it's if you're if you're go, we're luckily at a conference that does not require its attendees to install proprietary software, but at some um, and it's proprietary and spying software. Um, but you know, there it's increasingly the case that people, the the events that they attend, the institutions they work for, and stuff like that, they don't have that much luxury to be able to do these types of things. So, how how do you recommend? when people are constrained not just by their operating systems but by their social environments, what right. kind of software that they, they interact with. So um, I'm glad you touched on that because incentivizing is a big part of what these tracker companies want to do and what these ad tech companies want to do and data brokers and so on. Um, even if you can actively just hypothetically say, get around all this, not use Android, not use iOS, not use anything proprietary, you may be taking a very serious hit, especially in the world we're starting to live in, right? You might have to pay more money for things. You might not be able to attend certain things. You know, a lot of these concerts, you have to link an app to your ticket purchase, and then you have an RFID, wristband, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's a real autonomy question, <laughs> that I think we really need to think about and, and extends to other technologies like cars, which we're moving into this world, um, IoT devices everywhere else. I mean, I, I know one of the topics you wanted to talk about was Facebook, and I think that, you know, the there was a recent announcement that Zuckerberg wants to move his business model. He's going to move he's going to move messaging to end-to-end -end encryption, and you know, the news is reporting that Facebook wants to be the WeChat of of the West. And I think WeChat is a perfect example of, of how insidious this kind of technology is. So WeChat, for people who don't know, is a Chinese, you know, basically chat application that has grown into this ubiquitous system for communicating with the government, with, pay, with payment processing, yeah. and all other functions. And now, in China, you can only use uh, WeChat, you can only do certain things via WeChat. You can only pay certain government, um, I don't know, fees or, 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 or um, permits, but there are things you can only do via WeChat, which, which makes it, you know, uh, extremely scary uh, as a proprietary application. And, um, you know, and, and so the idea that Facebook is moving this direction is, is even, is, is just as scary, if not scarier. But, but, but let me also do it. It sounded really nice in, in, in Mark Zuckerberg's article, though. Like he said... We're worried about the privacy of our users. That's why we're moving to end-to-end -end encrypted systems. So, so like how how? But that's confusing to me personally because if you if you went to an idealized end-to-end -end encrypted privacy, you you couldn't have at least the same uh, financial model that like Facebook currently has, right? Like if you wouldn't be able to see all of all of the current content, or could you? What what, what do you think? So there's a few things going on here. Um, the first one is that Facebook has been wanting to since at least acquiring WhatsApp fold in the WhatsApp technology to Facebook messaging, which is something people at the time were very scared of. People about you know two or three months ago were still mentioning this is you know scary if this gets tied too closely to Facebook. Then when all of the you know 
crap hit the fan with Facebook, uh, Zuckerberg was savvy enough to take all of these scandals and all these things that people are worried about, um, about general Facebook surveillance and, and profiling and so on, um, and turn it into this privacy message. Um, I think that uh, Facebook is quite willing to uh, lock up the content of messages with end-to-end encryption. Maybe there'll be some holes in that encryption for supposedly law enforcement and probably for Facebook admins. I don't know. We can't say, and we probably will never know unless we have whistleblowers come onto the company, right? Um, Or something else breaches. Um, But let's assume that it is actually end-to-end encrypted. The content of the messages will never be uh, read by Facebook. That's not the stuff I think that Facebook considers most valuable. What uh, Facebook cares about most are your social graph, right? Um, the ability to profile you based on behavioral, you know, behavioral actions on their platform. Um, they want to correlate information from across these apps, right? So there's Facebook trackers in a huge proportion um, of apps out there on both Android and iOS, and that app activity is being fed to Facebook in some form. You know, that kind of um, insight into an individual is often not only computationally a lot easier than taking conversations and breaking them up into keywords and then figuring out, um, you know, what a person does or what, what how valuable a person is, right, <laughs> in, in a sense, um, than uh, looking at metadata or what we would traditionally call metadata or who people, you know, who people know, how long they're in proximity to other people, right? Um, sensor data is a huge frontier here. Um, if your ambient light sensor can tell Facebook that you're probably asleep or in a building with a different lighting profile than another building, you know, maybe that data is a lot more valuable than whether or not you have a conversation and what the content of that conversation actually is. So. Whoa. So, so you said an interesting phrase there, how valuable that person is. I think that that phrase is one of the scariest phrases to me that it's around right now. I mean, I'm sure probably some of our listeners are familiar with China's current work on, uh, and in India to some extent as well, and it kind of in a different vector. But both of them are doing some work towards trying to creating unified identities for people that have a state controlled uh, center to them um, and uh, especially in China's situation uh, having a something like the US credit system but like way scarier basically and well way scarier if, if I guess you're the three of us maybe some people aren't scared of it but like it, it's hard for me to, to imagine a, a world in which I wouldn't be scared of such a thing I don't yeah know. so so for people who aren't familiar with it um, it's it's the dystopian version of Cory Doctorow's waffle in the sense of, uh, for, for anyone who's, who's read Down and Out in the Magic Kingdom, in, in that science fiction book, uh, good deeds would be uh, given basically upvotes by people, and uh, you know, you'd also have downvotes, and, and you, you could look up someone's waffle score, that was their, basically their, their karma score, and uh, people, if you had a low score, you'd be untrustworthy, and if you had a high score, you were, you were trustworthy, and, and, and in that scenario, that could also be, uh, in that book, it was also the, the, the both social and actual currency, and this China system is supposedly something similar, where good deeds are rewarded with, with extra points, and, uh, and that could be something like uh, having a child, or, you know, picking up trash, or those kind of things, and then 
bad deeds like looking at adult content or um, not paying your loan on time uh, or making a disruption are, are downvoted uh, again by, the, by the, the, the central system and people are prevented from making purchases, from traveling, etc. because of this system. So um, these technologies are all extremely scary. <laughs> and we probably could pick a thousand, well, maybe literally a thousand, I don't know, um, examples to talk about. Let's do uh, that in the next episode. Yeah, let's definitely just go through, right? Let's go. One, <laughs> uh, on the next episode of Libre Lounge, 1,000 things to be afraid of. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> Bye, everybody! <laughs> well, you know, it's literally like when you read the news every day, that's, that's pretty much the case. There's something new. But anyway, the, the thing we try to focus on, or at least I try to focus on um, with Yale Privacy Lab and when we do workshops and so on, um, is not just privacy as secrecy, right, um, or privacy as confidentiality, a conversation we're having between three people. Um, of course, we're recording it, but anyway, um, <laughs> the thing to focus on is autonomy, right? And that seems like an odd way to kind of couch the concept, but what we're starting to see is in the real world, these technologies are being used to limit people, to divide people, sometimes by class, sometimes by, you know, whatever this social behavioral score is going to be. Um, and we'll have something similar here that limits our autonomy. Um, I'm extremely afraid of what's going on with cars right now. Um, and that may be because I just talked to Jeremiah Foster about it. But, but, um, and he gave a great presentation for us, for us about it. But, um, you know, it may be true that you're not allowed to sit in a vehicle anymore and go from point A to point B, you know, in America if the dream of some of these surveillance actors is realized. Maybe you're not creditworthy enough or you owe the company money or you owe another company money, so therefore you can't do it. Or they say you owe the company money. Right. Or, or somebody's decided that you are not trustworthy enough to take a car. Or Yeah, or somebody has decided to create a reputation attack against you because they didn't like... They didn't like what you did to them, and so they gained the system to do something like that. Right. But so all of those things are really scary, and we we just joked about a thousand ways to be scared. And I think this is part of the challenge when when you when you take this stuff seriously, it's hard to not see how badly things can end up. And going. fall into nihilism, right? right? And and I, I would like our audience to not you know fall into that. So I would like to talk about. Um, a lot of this episode has been about finding out the bad things that are happening sure. so that we're, we can empower ourselves theoretically. So I'd, I'd like to shift the conversation to empowerment, yep. right? What can, user, what can our listeners do to empower themselves? And not only that, not only can our listeners do to empower themselves, because actually I think sometimes I think that in the free software community we focus on self-empowerment in a way that's, that can become futile right. because we... If it's just the, the people who come to Libre Planet who are empowered, that's not very socially helpful, and it also doesn't work because we live in societies in which you can become very empowered to live in a car, like a cardboard box, but that's not very interesting, right? So, so what can we do to help make a more empowered self and a more empowered society? Yeah, so first off, it's, it is really important to shift there. <laughs> and when I, when I do, you know, uh, self-defense workshops and so on, um, that's what I try to end with a little bit is um, you've got to free yourself in pieces. This is not all going to happen overnight. Um, the nice thing is that we still have a lot of avenues we can use and some avenues that are opening up that I think are going to be extremely empowering. Um, 
Free software, of course, being a prerequisite for privacy and security, the more of it you can use on a device, the better off you are. Um, if we can get to the point of reproducible builds and reproducible operating systems, um, that's an incredible way to guarantee that the thing you're using is very unlikely to have um, security and surveillance holes in it. Um, the company I work for, Purism, um, which probably free software folks have heard of, I hope. Um, Purism makes devices which are 100% uh, open hardware and 100% uh, free software. And with things like hardware kill switches. So for the folks that had Apple phones and devices that were FaceTiming and recording them when they didn't want to be recorded and they had no physical way to turn that off, well, this phone, even if something like that happened on the phone, you'd still be able to turn the webcam and the microphone off in a verifiable way with hardware physical switches on the board. So, so, so let's let's talk about that. So, so, so we're talking about Sean's uh, uh, at least two jobs uh, here on this episode, both the Yale Privacy Lab and also uh, the the work you do in Purism. But I, I do want to talk about that the stuff that's happening in Purism because Purism is doing active work on some of the really hard stuff and and so long time listeners of the show as a really long time or at least people who like to go back in the archives there you go um really long time three months listeners oh, yeah that's right we haven't been around that long it feels longer than it has been. It's, it's been four five months but five, yeah. okay yeah but but you know you if you go back to the first episode we put out um uh, uh, we talked about this issue we talked about uh, wanting free mobile phones, and I talked about Open Moco, and I think you also had an Open. Yeah, Moco? I also had an Open Moco. I had the version that was only a brick, and you had the version that was sometimes not a brick. Yes, um, I mean they were exciting which, devices which, in a, in a in a in a sense, and actually very visionary, right? Because they were before the i they got they got they started to be announced and planned before the iPhone and before Android came out and stuff like that, but they didn't really. They weren't able to really deliver to users and stuff like that. So I, I want the Librium 5 to succeed. So why don't you tell our listeners like what kind of things Purism is doing? And so we should also mention that, that both Chris and I uh, had a chance to see a prototype board of, of this phone uh, a very early prototype board of this phone uh, at LibrePlanet. Yeah, it seemed to work. Uh, um, you know, it's it was obviously a development board because I, I held the you know I, I held the actual board in my hand that had a screen attached to it, but I could you know click around. And a heat I, sink. Yeah, it had a heat sink. I, I I did click over to what looked like a phone application, and it also looked very gnome which yeah. was interesting to me as you know somebody who. Um, the thing that I really enjoyed about the N900 that is that it actually used GTK and stuff like that, um, whereas Android I felt very disconnected to uh, from. So, so I'm, I'm curious, like, so what what's happening there in that area? Before I really dig into that, um, I think using example is perfect. So talking about N900, talking about what's gone on in the past is, is good. Um, the phone I have in my pocket right now is a Nexus device, right? It's an Android device which does not have googly stuff in it. Um, I've put Lineage OS on there. You know, you might be able to put Copperhead OS on there. I don't know the status of that project right now. Um, and I only install apps from F-Droid on, on uh, Lineage OS. So what I'm doing there is purposefully going out of my way to put a custom ROM on a phone I specifically bought because I knew I'd be able to do these things and only getting software through F-Droid, which is a free software um, uh, 
app store, basically, but everything's free in it. Um, but it's an app store that also scans for things like trackers, literally using the signatures that X's Privacy and Yale Privacy Lab come up with. So I know for real the things I find in real time are not going to be in my apps on my phone, right? Um, what Purism is doing, which is much more exciting than that, because it doesn't require all those steps, the thing is going to be shipped out of the box with free software, trustworthy um, uh, software on it with no trackers. Um, and also, it's not tied to Android. Android itself, even though we have these alternative ROMs for now, um, Google has hegemony over the platform. And the company that you know does most of the phone, you know, most of the software that ends up in your phone, can shape that operating system to go in a direction you don't want it to go. So, um, what's exciting about the Librem is not only that it's open hardware. We have the schematics of the board. Um, we have much tighter control over the supply chain, hardware supply chain, than you know when I just buy some Android thing. Um, it also has real GNU slash Linux on it. Um, PureOS is one of the operating systems that the Free Software Foundation certifies um, that is 100% free software and respects people. Uh, it's going to be running PureOS. PureOS is Debian-based, so it has all of the optional Debian stuff, um, a huge variety of software, perhaps the largest variety of software. Debian's got to be the largest operating system out there, right? It's got to be the largest pool operating system with, like, operate with software that is good for users. Right. So, so, so all that's going to be available for users to put on there optionally, whether it's in the PureOS repositories or not. And then um, on top of that, it's going to have GNOME. So close relationship with the GNOME Foundation. We are sponsoring um, specific devs to make responsive, adaptive apps for the phone from current GNOME apps. Sounds pretty handy. It's lip handy, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. God, it's okay. That's awful. It's, 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 okay. it's so bad. Well, you know, I mean, it's good branding, I guess. No, I, I think he was complaining about snap. Me, yeah, I was complaining about, about yeah, you know, about your your no, puns. No. Um, and then I guess so. So for now, though, we'll the way we'll sandbox things is we'll have I guess our free phone that will do all our real work, and then our junk phone that will put all like Uber and other proprietary apps on? So it remains to be seen what goes on <laughs> in the ecosystem, <laughs> right? Uh, Purism is not going to ship any crap apps, right? It does not necessarily preclude the ability to use some of these things through a browser on the phone, for example, if there's a web interface, which like Uber does have. That's actually, I confess, I do occasionally use Uber, and I use it via the, the, the browser to the web app. So there's going to be those kinds of workarounds. Obviously, every time you do that, you're feeding literally your money and your effort into a terrible corporate world. But you know, like you said before, uh, Chris, it, it's uh, it's difficult to stay away from this stuff and be a human in the world we're in. You have to kind of go slowly. There's only so many deviations from the norm a person can do every day. Right. Right. So the Libra 5 will be a huge step in that direction. Um, it's hard work, um, figuring out all that hardware work, doing something. I mean, the dream of a GNU slash Linux phone, especially one running something that, like, you know, Debian-based um, with a real, you know, nice-looking user land is kind of the holy grail. <laughs> um, and it's something that I know a lot of people are really excited about, of course, um, and, and very because right, there are actually free phones, but they're they're just phones. Right, right. 
this is going to be a real smartphone, a uh, real smartphone that can make phone calls, right? Because wow. there's also phones out there that are quote-unquote phones, but can't make calls except through, uh, you know, wireless calling, so... There you go. That's very exciting. Yeah, it's really exciting stuff, and I'm happy to be a part of it. So. I think at this point, though, we are all hitting our exhaustion point from the end of Libra <laughs> Planet. You say it, right? And, uh, um, and, but this conversation has been invigorating. So, uh, um, but so I think thank we you, should, Sean. I, yeah, I think we should wrap up at this point, though. Um, so, so I guess, uh, Sean, thank you for coming and joining us. Very happy to be here. Yeah. Um, so... I'm going to do the, the, the normal end of the show. Shout outs to all of our ways to, to get in contact with us. You're uh, going to say it before you do it. I'm going to say what before I do it? How, how to, that you're going to tell us. Yeah, that's right. Answer. I'm, I'm going to tell you. Now get your pens and papers out, children. Uh, and you can join us on IRC at hash Libra Lounge on Freenode. You can email us, podcast at LibraLounge.org. You can find us on Twitter at Libra Lounge. Or you can find us on the Fediverse at... Uh, Libra Lounge at floss.social. Thanks, everybody, and thanks again to Sean. This has been fun. See you next time. Yep. Bye. You've been listening to Libre Lounge. You can find and subscribe to us at librelounge.org. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. Our theme music is Bossa Nova by Joth which is waved into the public domain under CC0 and which you can find on opengameart.org. If you'd like to support Chris Weber's work on this and other user freedom projects, you can donate at patreon.com forward slash C-W-E-B-B-E-R. Thanks for listening. See you next time.